Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. B-sides, rare finds, secret shows. Whether it's a must-see concert or a must-have coin, curious types crave interesting experiences. Bittrex is a cryptocurrency exchange empowering traders to feed their curiosity. With hundreds of trading pairs, Bittrex offers a platform for next big thing discoverers to create the crypto experiences they've been looking for. Trade beyond the trend at bittrex.com. It's your move. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. It's been a while. It's been a while, but one of my favorite guests of all time. I think that, I think actually, Daniel, when you were on this podcast before, it was, it was named something completely different, which is, it was a terrible name. I'm not going to mention it, but, uh, what is it? You have to say it now. Oh, I think it was actually the Bradford Files. (laughs) And that. That was uh, worse than Bradfoe's show. The Bradfoe's show. I mean, not only is the Bradfoe show awesome, but once we took the W off, because you get it. I mean, you're 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 a college guy. I went to a fine oh, institution. Yes, exactly. So uh, Daniel Bard, Daniel Bard, back on the podcast, Bradfoe show. And so Daniel, uh, thanks so much for for coming on back and uh, appreciate it. As I said to you. I, when the news came out that you retired the other day, I, this wasn't hyperbole. You were one of my favorite guys to cover ever that uh, in a Boston Red Sox uniform. And, and I kind of forgot, you know, you you know, you know, came up in 2009, right? Correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it was really three years, but you left your mark. So you left your mark on the reporters, so that's really all that counts. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, you guys were good to me, and uh, I appreciate I read the article you wrote the other day i appreciate the the kind words yeah well you know it's it's you, it, well deserved and and the reason i wrote that article was obviously because you you have announced your retirement but also it allowed to sort of look back at you know i just remember man like i remember thinking like there just aren't a lot of weapons like this guy like you were uh and you know going back so i guess the, one of the Curious things that I uh, I wanted to ask out of the gate. Looking back at that run with the Red Sox, what was the height of your powers? You think? Like what was? <laughs> what, what what do you think they said? Okay, you know, I this was the best I was. I can go back and look at the numbers, but do you remember when you said, I, "No one's going to hit what I'm what I'm dishing up there"? Um, you know, I felt like that a lot, honestly, and that's probably why I was I was uh, doing as well as I did. Um, you know, I. I I saw 
all the stuff that I was throwing up there. And I honestly, when when I got back, you know, when a guy got on base, uh, whether it was a hit or a walk or whatever, uh, I pretty much said the next guy's going to get out because, like, the numbers don't lie. The You know, the, the odds are with me <laughs> that they're not going to get two guys in a row on base. When they did that, I was shocked. And then I knew the next guy was out. So I think that mentality kind of, kind of helped me uh, a lot because I really did believe that you know uh, not in a, not in a cocky way like I just was like I know my stuff is better than than these hitters and it most of the time it, it worked out that way um, obviously it's it's a, it's a tough thing to maintain over over a long time uh, I'll be uh, number one proof of that but uh you know I was I'm fortunate to have a uh, you know, felt what it like to, to be on a big league mound and do it quite a few times and feel what it's like to, you know, to feel powerful with that, with a baseball in your hand. Well, so. well, you, and you know, there's like, I think there's, there's one, you know, the, the internet's a great place for finding like great at bats and, and memorable at bats and memorable moments. And there's one that's go, or actually a couple are going around saying, you know, this was the nastiest pitch anyone will ever throw. I don't know if you've seen any of these, but was there any, was there any like moments like, was there any at bats? Yeah, go ahead. I I know the one you're talking about is the, the Swisher pitch. Yeah. Was it a change up? No, it was, that was not a change. It was fastball. It was a two-seam fastball. <laughs> I'm just talking it was, trash. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you kind of a funny story about that pitch. So uh, Victor Martinez was, was catching me, right? And um, before he became a, a DH, I guess. But he was actually you know, pretty good behind the plate um, back then. And I came into that game, I think for Lester, uh, you know, adrenaline pumping out like crazy um you know struck out i think jeter and then swisher and uh that last pitch is the one that that i you know people bring up to me and i guess is passed around online but um yeah it's funny because we got in the dugout and victor comes up to me and he's all he's like red in the face fired (laughs) up and i thought he was just as excited as i was that we just got out of the inning Turns out he goes, don't. He goes, what did you just throw me? I was like, yeah. Oh, I was like, oh my bad. I threw a two seamer. Like he put down, you know, a straight finger, which is a four seamer, and a wiggle, a wiggle finger would have been a two seam. So he put down a four seam, and I remember I was coming set. Um, it was O two count. I was coming set, and I had a four seam grip in my hand, and I, I thought to, back to myself the year before. I threw Nick Swisher, same hitter. I threw him a four-seamer away with two strikes and hit for a home run opposite field over the monster at Fenway. So as I'm coming set with that pitch, <laughs> that that memory popped into my head, and I went, oh, crap, I can't throw him a four-seamer away, but I'm already coming set. I don't feel like stepping off like the adrenaline's here. I'm ready to throw this pitch. So I just switched it to a two-seamer, mm. which is normally not a big deal. You know, it might be like, two or three more inches of movement. But this one came out different for some reason. And uh, it was the best two-seam I ever threw. <laughs> and it was 99. <laughs> and Victor, Victor's expecting the ball to be pretty much straight. And that ball moved like it did. And he, he came up to me in the dugout. And I thought he was fired up happy. But he was fired up pissed off because I about broke his thumb. Uh, if you watch the replay, uh, I think he pumps his fist. And it kind of looks like he's, you probably would think he's excited about it. But. He was he was mad. Well, um, 
It was pretty funny, actually, that, that, in hindsight. <laughs> well, that that's insane, number one. One of the things that jumps out, you threw a 99-mile-an-hour two-seamer? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's you, you talk about like really having it rolling and, and being able to throw those types of pitches. It's it, it, it was it was when you came up in 2009. You know, I love I love doing the oh the best trade acquisition is the players from inside their own organization. You know, it's like Papelbon back in 2005 and Masterson and then you. You know, so when you first came up, like you said, you knew your stuff. You knew how good you were. When did you realize that it was going to translate to do what it did against major league hitters? Um. You know, I think that, you know, honestly, that first uh, big league spring training that I was a part of in 09, you know, I had never been in the big leagues before that. Uh, I said pitch was double A. And, you know, just facing a bunch of big league hitters in those spring training games, and I was, I was, you know, I was, I was mowing them down. And, you know, it almost took me by surprise because I was like, man, I know my stuff plays, you know, at the minor league level. Um, but you never know until you face, you know, a bunch of big league hitters, how, how they're going to react to your stuff. Um, and that was the first time, I think. So, you know, I started that year in AAA, but um, by the time I got called up, you know, I was pretty pretty confident that my my stuff and the repertoire and the the, the pitches I was throwing up there were were going to play at that level. Well, as you're cruising through, so you get you get – you, know, you you do what you did in 2009 2010 did did you start when did you start thinking about sort of your lot in life um because you had Papelbon who was obviously up after 2011 he's the closer but you know he's up and you're the setup guy and you're throwing 100 miles an hour um you have the prospects of you know, I, listen, the money, I think you might even talk to you about this you know the biggest money to be made is is as a starter, everyone knew that. Um, so, when did do you remember when you started thinking about sort of your your lot in life? Once you realized you were a major leaguer and you were going to probably have big things ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think probably not till you like hit arbitration. I mean, I think those first couple three years, um, you know, you're making basically the league minimum, and which is still really good money and more money than I, you know, knew what to do with. Um, so I was just you know thrilled to be there and uh yeah i don't think you really think about the potential definitely that whole first rookie year you're just I mean, you're just happy to be there right and trying not and trying not to screw it up you know try not to screw up a good opportunity and get sent back to triple a so you know once i kind of had established you know somewhat of a a role there you know i think it's really not to hit arbitration when you're like oh, okay you can actually got a chance to make some some good money in this game and maybe have a long career um you know i think i think we'd all love to keep that that mentality of you know just playing for that the day you're in and enjoying it and trying not to lose your job you know i think that's um not a bad thing to to have is to just be grateful and um at the same time, you know, I think some guys are, are driven by the money. I don't I don't think I was necessarily one of those guys, but I think some guys see the opportunity to make, you know, $50 million in free agency, and, and it really does drive them to uh, excel their game. I can't say I don't, I don't feel like I was one of those guys, but, you know, obviously it would have been 
great to make that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, listen, not, it's not in the cards for everybody. We're, we're human beings, and and this is you know this is a reality of of any profession. But you know, did so like you said, Pap was up after 2000, 2011, and he you know he was the closer, and everyone sort of just thought you were going to be the closer, the next closer. What? <laughs> And I know that in that off season, it morphed into you became you know the switch of roles to starter. And I I was trying to remember how that whole thing shook out. Like when when was the first time it was broached that hey you know what we'll have Alfredo Aceves be the closer because we need a starter and you can try your hand at starter. Take me back to that. Do you remember what the first time that that conversation happened for you? Uh, you know, I think it was like sometime like november december um i think i you know honestly i think i kind of looked at the situation i think we had dice k and lackey were both out with tommy john if i remember right you know so we had mm-hmm. two out of our five uh starters were were gone mm-hmm. and uh you know i just saw it as okay the closer rolls open two starting rolls are open why don't I try? I mean, I, I proved to myself and everybody else that I can get big league hitters out. Why don't I just try to do it for six or seven innings and see what happens? Worst case, I go back to the bullpen. That's kind of how I saw it in my mind. Well, do you, um, do you call? Do you, like, how's that happen? Do you do you call somebody? Uh, I, you know, if I recall correctly, I'm not sure. I think I mentioned it to my agent, and he had a we had a we had a good working relationship with the whole front office there, so this it wasn't a wasn't an out of the ordinary call for for that to happen um i think i told my agent hey man i think i may want to you know try to get one of those those two starting spots that's available and he said great i'll give him a call mm-hmm. and he called uh i guess it would have been charrington at the time mm. and uh you know let him know and he's i think charrington called me maybe a day or two later just to talk to me about it and you know, I said, I'm not, like, set on this. I'll have to do it. But, you know, so you guys are on board, and I might as well try it. And uh, I don't think he committed to it right away. I actually think it wasn't until until they hired uh, Valentine, uh, Valentine yeah. to, I think, one of the first, I think he called me that off season and, you know, asked me what I wanted to do and kind of said the same thing I'd said to Charrington and, and uh, he said, "All right, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and make you a starter for spring training and see what happens." So I think that's where it went. Yeah, I remember what I remember about that spring training was, you know, we were constantly looking at the radar gun, and this was unfair to you. This is unfair to everybody, every pitcher that's ever in spring training to look at the radar gun because <laughs> you should be able to ease into things a little bit. But you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, why is he throwing ninety four? He would always throw ninety nine. Is it because he's starting? Is he because he's reeling things back? Um, did you feel going through that spring training, did you feel comfortable? Um, did you feel, and ultimately you had the thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. So I don't know if that was, if, if looking back, if that was part of it, but what was your take on how things were going throughout that spring training? Yeah. I I mean, hindsight, I'm pretty sure that thoracic outlet had was, was already, um, affecting me to a certain extent, um, the doctors actually told me that, the, that it, you know, it can affect guys for two to four or five years before they realize it. Um, it when it's, when it's kind of a under the, what do they call it? I mean, it's kind of a non, it, there's no overt symptoms like the full on numbness.
numbness in the hand, things like that that people get. But you're still getting that nerve is getting uh, nerve bundles getting pinched a little bit, and you know even if it's getting pinched three percent, uh, that's going to affect the way you throw a baseball in a big way. So he said I was probably feeling it for two to three years before that, really, and, really? which kind of adds up right with like you know maybe toward the end of 2011 where things weren't feeling messed up, but the velocity started to dip. The command wasn't quite what it used to be. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, it was definitely affecting me. I think that was part of the, the velocity drop. And I knew something wasn't right when I'd reach back the same way I reached back, you know, less than 12 months before. Mm-hmm. And when I normally reach back, I'd, I'd see a 98 or a 99 or a hundred on the board. I'd reach back and look back and be 93. I'd be like, okay, that feels, that's weird. <laughs> Cause not, I didn't do anything. I didn't tell my body to do anything different. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that, and when nothing feels wrong physically, you know, you obviously look for, um, an explanation in other places. And, you know, the first thing we turn to is fixing mechanics, which is a, it's a dangerous road to go down. Mm-hmm. Is, is that is that what you know? I think Bob McClure was the pitching coach then. Was that? And this isn't to blame him. It, like you said, when when something isn't the same, then you try to fix it and you fix fix mechanics. Was that what was what happened? Basically, that spring training, and then early in the year, you were just tinkering with all all this. We were, yeah, we started tinkering pretty early, um, just trying to fix this and fix that and make this a little bit better and uh you know bob was actually had a really good relationship with him he's a good guy he's a good guy um and he just but he just didn't know me as a pitcher um and i think we tried to maybe change too many things too fast um on something that was already a little bit broken that i did not realize was broken so you know i've kind of described it before i think it was just kind of a perfect storm of of uh you know, physical issue presented, you know, at the same time as a role change and, you know, some, some, uh, not so good results with it. And, uh, you know, kind of snowballed from there. Did, uh, do you think they jumped ship too early on you in terms of that, you know, I remember you had the bad start in Toronto and that sort of led you to the, you know, to the Myers and came back at the end of the year, but, do you, did you sense? Did you want a little bit more rope in terms of trying to figure it out? Yeah, I thought so. Um, you know, obviously, I was not the pitcher I was the year before. I mean, I I, I was not oblivious to that. But uh, you know, I thought there were maybe some other avenues we could have taken. Um, I do remember having back spasms the day before that start. Um, I'm not saying that's why. I, pitched the way I did I actually have no idea if it affected me or not but I was having back spasms the day before and then had the terrible start and you know hindsight would have been nice to say hey man how's that back feeling maybe we throw you on the DL for a little while mm-hmm. um, but again that's um, hindsight's twenty twenty, and uh, yeah I mean uh, like I said when I went into the whole starting experiment you know I thought that uh, that you know, worst case doesn't go great. Hey, go back to my job, you know, pitching the eighth inning. Mm-hmm. And uh, that just wasn't the case. Well, you flash forward to, you know, your last two outings in 2013, I remember. And 
your first one I thought actually was pretty good. And in you, you, your second one, you just faced two batters and you walked two, and then that was it. I mean, that was, to me, honest, and maybe this is revisionist history, I don't – I just remember thinking like, wow, you know, okay, he walked a couple guys, and now he's – that's it. I, like, did, was it, it – was, am I off base in that, or did you feel like no, – I, Yeah. I uh, – well, here's the thing. I got – since double A to start that year, and which was a shock to me to begin with, and uh, you know once the shock wore off, you know I kind of said, hey, if, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to go to double A, I'm going to do it with the right attitude and, and get myself back to where I want to be. And uh, I think it was like you know three weeks later, you know I started off a little bit rough in double A, and then kind of got my head back on straight and had ran off you know four or five good outings in a row. And, you know, got called back up. And I think it was more of a roster move. They needed somebody that was on the 40-man that could eat up some innings. But when I got up there, um, and you may remember this, you know, I think the first interview that I gave, um, one of of the media guys, and it may have been you, it may have been somebody else, um, said, hey, well, we just talked to Farrell, and, you know, he said that – this is a chance for you to earn a, a spot back in the bullpen. This mm-hmm. isn't just a uh, this isn't just a uh, you know a call up to fill in for a couple days. So I didn't hear that directly from him, but you know when I heard that you hear that right. whoever it comes from, you think okay, great. You know, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I went out there saying okay, I'm going to earn me a job back here and I'm going to stick. And uh, like you said, had a good. Uh, I think a good outing, first one of the first couple of days I was there, I think through the ninth inning, um, closed out a game. And then three or four days later, went out, walked two, got sent down after the game. So at that point, I think I was like, I remember being pretty angry after that, um, you know, which fed into a lot of different emotions that I was feeling. So, um, it, they, and they sent me back to Double A, so I was just like, "Well, that was my chance, and you know, maybe that was the last one I get, you know, with this team at least." So, I mean, did, did, at that point, do you basically want to? You went to another. You ultimately went to another organization. Do you? Did he say maybe it's just time for a new start somewhere else? And once I get to somewhere else, and, and a lot of this stuff is gonna, I can put in the rearview mirror and just, you know, go on from there. Is that? Was that sort of the mindset? Yeah, I mean, well, I ended up getting designated, I think, later that summer, mm-hmm. towards September, and, and that's when the Cubs, I guess, claimed me. And uh spent September with them, but I was already, honestly, pretty pretty out of whack. I mean, I was not I was not in a position to be thrown in big league games by the time they claimed me, because I, I actually went back to the minors, um, you know, still with Boston, and, and ended up tearing an ab muscle. Because my, my mechanics were so jacked up, yeah, and I was uh, I was like arching my back plus overthrowing, um, just crazy, uh, just jacked up mechanics. You know, well, what was uh, what was the weirdest mechanical alteration that you made? Like because you were you were pretty, you know, when you were coming up, it wasn't that complicated. <laughs> you know? No, it's super simple. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I tried everything. Tried nine different arm slots and 
could talk all day about it, but probably the last one. I mean, the, the you know this past summer, I was trying to those basically submarine. Um, that got pretty extreme. Never got to a knuckleball upsail in here. Didn't try. <laughs> Do you, ever, you ever think about it? No, my knuckleball sucks. So. <laughs> no, hope, no hope there. The sub, submarine. I mean, that's how. Like, was it literally like sidearm? Oh no, I was sidearm uh, the past like year and a half, and that was actually pretty good at time. At times, I mean, I never put up good numbers doing it, but I mean, I could throw it ninety-five miles an hour from a, a true sidearm slot. Um, this was like submarine. This was like inching into uh, like Chad Bradford right. territory. Wow. Not quite as low as him, but like this was like uh, Ziegler. Yeah, Ziegler. It was like Ziegler. Yeah. Wow. What what did the, what did Theo say to you when he claimed you? Do you remember? He said, uh, "You're a big league pitcher. You are coming to Chicago tomorrow." Oh wow! And that was uh yeah, it was pretty cool. Because I was, you know, really struggling at the time, and confidence was uh, pretty much shot. So to hear that from uh, someone, you know, in his position was uh, pretty huge at the time. Didn't didn't end up working out, but uh, you know, I did appre- really appreciate that shot of confidence that he that he gave me. What so you you, you had the Cubs, you had the Texas, you had Pittsburgh. Um, what is the closest you felt? Throughout that time, throughout the last four or five years, the closest you felt to saying, "Okay, I'm I'm almost back." I remember. I think the last time I saw you, actually, you were in Fort Myers with Pittsburgh, yeah. and you threw pretty well. I, I if I remember right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I came out and had a one-two-three inning against against the old team. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, that felt pretty good. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't suck. But uh, what, what was the of all those times? What was the closest you felt saying, "Okay, I, maybe I've I finally figured this out." Probably that moment uh, or that that spring. Kind of, I think I was feeling pretty good overall. Um, I had just a really good good run of of uh, several months with with you know just building confidence and building building feel. Um, with all my pitches and you know that was and then I kind of hit a roadblock kind of hit another bump in the road if you want to call it that and then uh, you know this this honestly this past spring I think I was I was with the Cardinals funny got how hard I have to think about that now like where I was this past <laughs> spring yeah when you bounce around that much <laughs> but um, yeah I was with the Cardinals this past spring and <clears throat> was throwing kind of a true sidearm but uh, worked on it the whole off season, and you know, felt really good about it um, coming in. And again, it was coming out, you know, pretty hot. A lot of movement, a lot of balls, all you know, in and around the strike zone, and felt good about it. And ultimately, just threw the ball. You know, I'd say well at times. Just, just uh, again, too many walks and. But the misses were were smaller. I was happy with the work I'd put in. It just uh, was still kind of an uphill battle. What was of all the teams? You, you know, one of the to flip it around to the positive. You you came along across a lot of probably interesting people, and some coaches you probably like you know steered you in the wrong direction. But you, we went to some some organizations with interesting philosophies. You know, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Rangers, you know, the Pirates, yeah. the Cardinals. You know, what what is 
What are some of the things that you said, you know, that was pretty cool, you know, being able to be around that person or learn this. Is there anything like that? Yeah, well, uh, 2015, I was with the Cubs again for the second time. Uh, Signed a minor league deal with them, but uh, went to big league camp, and that was uh, Madden's first year. And, you know, I'd played against Madden for for years in Tampa. Um, I kind of admired from afar what he was doing and kind of liked the the weirdness of it all. And, uh, you know, to, to... be around him firsthand and kind of hear his his philosophies and getting to know him a little bit and see how he interacts with players was was pretty cool because that guy's he's a stud mm. he's uh he's special for sure the um so take me through when you make the decision take take me uh, because you know this is you have a, a long long future and whatever you want to do ahead of you you're a smart guy you can do a lot of different things but when you're saying okay it's time to turn the page after doing going through all this take me through was there a day was there a week was there you know what take me through that i mean it it was one day uh and nothing that actually happened on that day that that caused it i just uh i mean i had had you know countless you know frustrating days over the past you know four or five years so uh if it was just from a frustrating day i would have quit a long time ago so i mean it was just i got to a you know i think i was down in florida with uh with the mets and threw a bullpen and didn't feel great and uh i think i remember like spiking a fastball you know four feet in front of the plate or something and i i was pissed like it was it just wasn't wasn't feeling good and I get the ball back from the catcher, and I turn around to the the guy, the coach who's behind me, and flipped him the ball. I said, "I don't want to throw anymore." Ooh. And I walked off the field. And he, you know, I kind of laughed when I said, "I was like, I'm good, man. I don't want to throw anymore." Hmm. And uh, he was like, "Okay, you know, he, he was all right with it. Whatever. Uh, we'll get back at it tomorrow." I think was his mentality. And at that point, I didn't I had not made a decision yet. Um, I just didn't want to throw any more that at that moment, and uh, walked off the field, showered, you know, did whatever whatever uh, post throwing stuff I normally do. Went home that day. I think it was some point on the drive home. I, uh, you know, I was like, I don't want to throw anymore. That's it. I just I don't want to do it anymore. Like I knew that if I showed up to the field the next day, I wouldn't have the same um, tenacity and and uh, focus that I'd had, I feel like, pretty much every day, you know, leading up to that. Um, and the second I said, you know, I'm not going to be able to give it my all, then I knew I was done. Um, and, you know, there's more that went into it than just the throwing aspect. I was in Florida and had my, uh, my family was 500 miles away up here in Mississippi. Um, so you know, having two kids sitting at home and going, you know, weeks at a time without seeing them, that, uh, that changes things a little bit too. Has there been a sense of relief or regret? I mean, has it been mostly relief? I'd say 99% relief. Yeah. 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 I mean, even the few days after, like there was a weird feeling like, you know, especially the few days after, I was like, I should be going to the field right now, but I'm not there. But then I, you know, once that 
feeling went away, just that I should be there. Not like I want to, I need to be there. Um, it was, it was total relief. I was just like, you know what? I'm, I've worked my, I've worked my tail off at this. Um, tried everything that I could think of that, that other people could think of. And, uh, you know, this is where we are. So I'm ready to move on. You know, before I go into, you know, what you, your ideas for the future or whatever, I want to look back again at Boston and, 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 you know, from our perspective, where forget about like actually throwing a ball 100 miles an hour and and, and having all the success on the field that you did. Just, I mean, what was it like playing in Boston? We hear a lot about it now, Daniel. Like we hear a lot for better or for worse about playing in Boston and and the good and the bad. And, and honestly, it's like going back and I, you know, obviously it's everything has sort of changed since 2011. Even though they won a World Series, it's just it's just everything is just viewed a little bit differently. What was it like for you playing in Boston? Well, I mean, it was it was the only thing I knew, you know, coming up as a young player, like the, the day I was drafted, you know, I, you know, I had watched all those, you know, Red Sox playoff teams and, and World Series teams in 03 and 04. <laughs> so I was well aware of the, uh, the following that was there. And, uh, but at the same time, I think once I got there, and you put on that uniform and go out in front of those fans every night. The way I the way I describe it best is, uh, you know, when you're playing when you're playing well, it's a great place to play. When you're playing terrible, yeah, it's an awful place to play. Yeah, September was uh, not. I and I remember that September. You know that obviously we all remember that September, September of 2011. But one thing that shouldn't go unrecognized about the bullpen was how much you guys had to be used. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, the starters yeah. couldn't make it through four innings. So, and so well, literally it, nothing was going right. No. September. I mean, I, I remember losing games on, you know, balls that would hit the chalk. And I think there were four or five, you know, blown calls by umpires before replay was the way it is now. Um, that, that, that changed the course of the game. Literally every little thing. You know, balls, balls called strikes, strikes called balls, you name it. Yeah, and, and, and I remember as a reporter thinking how we, – we walked down there. How many different ways can you ask about losing? That's what I remember more than yeah. any other time. It's like you guys what, – what were you guys going to say? I don't know. So it was crazy. And here's another thing I remember, and this is slightly before that September, was you were the player rep, right? Yeah, yeah. You had to do the headphones with the John Henry and the Hurricane stuff. Remind me of that. I'm All right. To, so you had to – I know. That was completely nonsensical. <laughs> um, but, Sorry. But but you had the uh, – the. Um, I remember in August. So August there was uh, this hurricane, and there was some controversy about playing through a doubleheader or something. Oh, yeah. And then, and then, so John Henry gave everyone headphones. So, say yeah, I found out later. Didn't Tito write about that in his book? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I remember uh, sitting in in uh, Tito's office, and we were in uh, Anaheim. We were in Texas. No, sorry. Yeah, we were in Texas. Yeah, Texas. I remember. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So we were sitting there. I think before the game, we played there, and they were set up. We'd gotten the news. Hey, you're going to play a doubleheader tomorrow, and. Uh, 
you know, we were pissed because we had played like four doubleheaders already that year. And I think there was a limit in the collective bargaining agreement. Like once you hit a certain number, the players could say um, that we would not play a split. We wanted to play like a back-to-back mm-hmm. where, they, where they only take one gate. So that's what we were, we were pushing for. And, uh, I, you know, I Tito talked to me, told me what the deal was. I went back in the clubhouse, talked to the guys. And I remember uh, Pedroia specifically said, screw that, man, we're not doing it. We're playing a back-to-back. We're not going to stay there all day. And I said, okay, I'll go tell them. But, uh, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of leverage, we didn't think. Actually, we thought, I'm sorry, we thought we did have leverage because of the CBA. Yeah. So he goes, all right, we'll tell them we'll play the split. But the players get, uh, we get, what it was, 50% of the gate for the second game. Yeah. Split evenly among players and coaches and staff. So I'm like, you sure you want to do this? He's, I see, he's you know, him and the, whoever the other veterans were said, yeah, let's do it. So I go back into Tito's office and uh, I said, well, here's the deal. We'll play the split, but uh, we're going to take players get half the second gate because we, we don't have to play that split, but we're going to do it for you guys, mm-hmm. for the owners. And he said, okay. So we called Theo on the phone. We got a conference call set up. And uh, I tell Theo, and Theo, the funny, his reaction was great. He, he like laughed. He goes, I tell him the whole thing. I'm like, we're taking uh, half of the second gate, but we'll play the, the split doubleheader. He goes, uh, okay, I'll pass that on. <laughs> and uh, so I guess, you know, he was like, he didn't care. It's not money out of his pocket right. at the time. And uh, so I think he, you know, he's, he called that, you know, called that, made the calls he needed to and, called us back an hour or two later and said uh he's like um he goes i'm not gonna lie to you man that was a great idea it was a really creative idea but unfortunately you don't have the leverage that you guys thought you had (laughs) and uh you know you you can you can force a uh what was he saying i don't know it turned out we didn't have the leverage we thought we did and uh totally shot back in our faces but you know what it was fun to uh to, it was we felt powerful for a moment there I, everyone was talking about the the oh it was oh seven or oh eight yeah. and they kind of held out to go to japan oh yeah oh eight yeah yeah so they they kept bringing that up and they're like we won that one you know we can do it again here and we're gonna get you know twenty thousand bucks a piece it didn't work out. No, the, but, you I know, could, you it know, didn't didn't hurt to try. No, well, I could have told you whoever was saying that we it, comparing the two because I was, I had to live through that day in '08, and yeah. they had all the leverage in the world because it was an ESPN spring training game and they were threatening not to play, so they're basically like, we won't play, and ESPN, good good luck filling the time, and we're not going right. to go to Japan. But you, know, but so did you get head? I mean, wasn't there? They they gave you like headphones or something, right? Well, yeah. I mean, we we're trying to get you know like twenty thousand dollars a player, and I think we got back and we had some uh, some really nice headphones. You know, I think like three hundred dollar headphones sitting on our chairs. There you and it go. Said, it said, and with a little note that said, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for acquiescing to our uh, requests, which well. is not really how it went. But uh, <laughs> I do remember. Um, I won't even mention names, but some some uh, some older players who had you know 
plenty of money. They took the the headphones and like threw them in the trash because they were pissed. <laughs> and I can remember like some younger guys like waiting till they left the locker room and then going and picking them out of the trash <laughs> and saying, "Well, I can put these on eBay. You know, uh, three hundred bucks. You just threw it in the trash." Um. All right, so uh, last thing is, is is you don't have to know exactly what you're going to do with your future, but as I told you, and this will make you sleep easier tonight, I am telling you you have a bright future. So uh, so you have that to hang your hat on that I am telling you that you have nothing to worry about, that you have a bright future. I actually think that here's my, here's my Daniel Bard um, power rankings and what you should Let's do. Hear it. All right, ready? All right, I think that um, I think that you. Does one involve fly fishing guide? Because <laughs> that's number one on my list. Uh, that was just uh, kidding. That Go was ahead. that was number seven. Um, okay, good. Um, I think that I think that ultimately that you could be a great general manager, like a really good general manager. And here's the reason why: is that number one, you're smart. Number two, I think that demeanor is very very important, and. I think that you have a good demeanor for it. So, um, and you've experienced a lot in baseball. We talked a lot about, you know, the, like all the people that you've met and everything else that, that has some value. And I don't know if you yeah. want, if you know, you can, you coach if you want or manage if you want, but you know, that's, you know, you have young kids. You don't want to do that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough lifestyle. So, uh, it is, it is. and then, then I actually, and I think I texted you this, you know, I actually think that you could do, you could do the broadcasting thing too, because like, this is the thing is that this is why you were good to talk to because you didn't give stock answers. You broke things down and it was, there was never a cliche. And that is what, the, that is what our world and television is starving for. So anyway, there you go. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. There, I got some options then. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, put that on your resume if you at the bottom if you want. And by the way, here are the power rankings that Rob Bradford gave me. Can I, can I list you as a referral? Yes, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, it hasn't really worked out for anybody before, but <laughs> it's always a first time. Um all right, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, and anything anything you need at all. Uh, the Bradford Show is always here for you. I appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it. Keep your car looking its absolute best year round with 303 cleaners and protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano spray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy to use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to twelve months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. 
It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. We turn the spotlight onto all the biggest plays across the league with coverage of every single game and access to exclusive stats and content for your favorite teams. MLB Big Inning brings fans exclusive live look-ins and breaking highlights every single day. Catch select pre- and post-game coverage or check out new MLB originals for a deeper dive into your favorite teams and ballparks. Subscribe now at MLB.tv and start streaming. That's MLB.tv. Blackout and other restrictions apply.